So this morning we are continuing our series on the Holy Spirit and we're getting close to the end of the fruit of the Spirit. Actually, we're in the last fruit, the fruit of self-control. Uh, next week we're going to talk about love. Love is actually the first fruit and it can start with love and it ends with love. So we're going to wrap it up next week talking about love because love truly is the thing that holds it all together. But self-control is a very important fruit and so we're going to be talking about that. It's um, the, the, the fruit of, or the, uh, fruit of the Spirit, as we all know, is brought to us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is, say it with me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And what that means, you know, sometimes we don't look at that last little line, but there is nothing that can stand against the fruit of the Spirit. There is nothing that the enemy can bring against us that can destroy the supernatural work of the fruit of the Spirit because it is a supernatural work in our life. That's something that we've observed as we've been studying the fruit of the Spirit over the past number of weeks is that it's not anything that you and I can grow in our own life. It is truly a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that he would grow and bring um, fruit of these different characteristics into our lives that we can then share with the world. And one of the reasons that the world is in such a problem today is because they don't exercise the fruit of the Spirit. They don't allow the Holy Spirit in their lives to... Would, allow the fruit to actually grow in their lives supernaturally. As we've been saying that the fruit of the Spirit is really the revelation of who God is. God is all of the fruit of the Spirit and all of the gifts of the Spirit and all of everything else that His Word proclaims. And so when we're studying the fruit of the Spirit and when we're encouraging us to allow the fruit of the Spirit to grow in our life, what we're really saying is that we're allowing God to manifest Himself in our life. We're really inviting the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives that would give us godliness. And I know that we have a, a born-in, a, a inborn nature that would have many of the fruit and probably and probably all aspects of the fruit we have to some degree naturally i mean we are just we can be good people we can be loving people we can be faithful people we can be gentle people we can exercise self-control in our own right but how far does it really go how far can we really go with that on our, on our own. I, I think the obvious answer is just look around us right now. Look around what's happening um, with the whole George Floyd situation and other things that have been like that. Now, that clearly, that was totally wrong, what happened to George Floyd. And there's been a lot of wrong things that have happened to people throughout eternity, <laughs> throughout ages. There's been a lot of things that have been uh, happened to people that have been just darn wrong. It's been, there's nothing right about it. But how do we react to those wrong things? What do we really do? There's nothing wrong with a healthy protest. That's what our country this is, is built on. I have, there, I have no problem with the protest. I have no problem with us being able to uh, share our opinions with other people. I have no problem with people being able to um, peacefully go out and state their facts, state the way they see things, because that's a given right that we have. The problem I see, however, is when people lose control, this is the issue of self-control. Obviously, we're not exercising a good amount of self-control in these protests because as soon as we lose self-control and things get out of hand, anarchy starts to show its ugly face and now, all of a sudden, the whole point of the protest is lost. The whole point of what they're trying to talk about and what they're trying to establish is lost because we don't have self-control in how we're going to the point of the protest. Uh, I mean, if stealing a pair of Nikes and, and, and burning a building down, or burning somebody's business down that they've worked for, that that's their life, that is 
does nothing to help the point of the protest. In fact, what all it does is it negates it. It mutes the whole word. You've lost your voice. If we exercise, think, if we exercise our rights in areas, but we lose our self-control, we've lost our voice. We've missed the whole point. And I think that's the whole problem that we're having with society, that we're arguing, we're fighting, we're battling the wrong enemy in most cases. Um, remember the little song we sang in Sunday school? Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. That's it, guys. If we could love like Jesus, we could love, we could love red, yellow, black, and white. There is no color differentiation in God's perspective. We're all people. We're all people that stand before God, and every one of us are going to stand before God one day, no matter what our race or nationality is. One day, we're all going to stand before the Lord, and we're going to give an account of our life. It doesn't make any difference, really, what happened in your life. I know there's a lot of social injustice, and I feel bad, and I'm sorry for that, but we just can't do a lot about some of that stuff because there is a control issue that the control has been given to the enemy and not to God. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that our warfare is not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers and principalities of the evil one in the air. That's the devil. So when we start fighting against people, I start fighting against the red or the yellow or the black or the white. I'm missing the whole point because the warfare is not against them. The warfare is against the enemy. And when, if we would all come together and have a joint element, a joint warfare against Satan, guess what? We could win the war. But until we have a relationship with Jesus, unfortunately, people don't see it that way. And that's the problem. That's why we need to have a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our life called self-control. Now, control is something that we all long for, don't we? I mean, I'm not saying we're all control freaks here. Some may be. Control is something that we all like. We all want to be in control somewhat, don't we? And I think that's the problem that we've experienced now with COVID-19 is that we've lost an element of control in our life. The element just to walk outside and not be fearful of something that maybe truly is worthy to be fearful of in its own right because it's a serious thing. But influenza is a serious thing and getting behind a car and driving down the street and is a serious thing. Uh, these are all serious things, so we, we have to have a healthy respect, but not fear. Nothing that would take us into a uh, state of uncontrol, and I think that's what bothers us. Um, the current situation of this global uh, pandemic really has up, upset the apple cart in a lot of people's lives. But I'm here to tell you this morning that God is still in control of it all. God is still in control of it all. Acts chapter 17, beginning at verse 26, it says, From one man, he, who is he? God created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and when they should fall. And he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. This morning, I would invite you, if you don't, here or at home, get your Bible out. So you look up these verses and, and, and work along with us here, or write them down and go back and study them yourself. It's important that you read the Word and not just take uh, my opinion or somebody else's opinions toward it. So I think we can make the observation here that we clearly, I, I believe we are clearly in the end times. Now, the end times started 2,000 years ago. I will tell you that, okay? It started at, at when Jesus died and the church began. The end times began. The, the church age began. But I'm seriously 
believing that we are in the end of the end. You look at all the prophecies, everything that's happening around this world. You look, you look at the birth of Israel in 1948, uh, the Six-Day War in 1967. All these things have, uh, the Bible says when these things begin to happen, when the bud starts to bloom or starts to show on the branch, know that spring is coming, know that summer is coming, and the bud is budding. And the generations that seeing this is not going to pass before it happens. So I truly believe that we are in that generation. Now, when is that going to happen? I am not making a, a statement. I am not going to make a prediction. But I will just tell you personally that every one of us in this room are going to see the rapture. The rapture, however, may be your own personal death. <laughs> and you don't know when that's coming either. So did I say the corporate rapture? No, I didn't say that. I don't know when the corporate rapture is going to happen, but I believe it's happening soon, and I believe that it's happening um, before the tribulation starts, and I believe it's a pre-trib, and I believe that God is going to rescue us and so we can escape from the wrath that's coming. But the reality is, guys, we don't know when our last breath is going to happen anyways. We don't know. So if we are living, you, you and I are living in the last days of our life, and we just don't know it. So I'm encouraging us. I'm encouraging you to be diligent in, your, in the exercise of self-control in our lives so that we don't allow ourselves to lose control when it comes to our reactions to some of the things that are happening around us or lose control of our own destiny because we've lost maybe our faith in Christ or we've lost the peace that comes with um, his understanding. So I'm just encouraging us all to recognize that we truly are in the last times, and God is establishing this. He's in control of everything that's happening around us. And he's making it very obvious and very clear. For those that have eyes and for those that have ears, open them up and see and listen to what the Lord is saying because he's saying, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon, and I want you to be ready. I want the church to be ready. I want the church to be spotless. I want the church to be without wrinkle because that's what I'm coming back for. And if there's wrinkles in your church, if there's wrinkles in your clothing, then you're not going to be part of the church that he's coming back for. I have, we have to recognize that. We can't just say because I believed one time or I believed this thing once or I have tried this or that. No, it is a continual living in a spotless. It's a continual living in a clean garment, keeping our garments pure, keeping our garments um, wrinkled free, keeping them pressed, <laughs> ready for when the Lord's coming back that we're ready to go. And that is a fun way to live. That is an exciting way to live. There is no negative there. There is no fear-mongering there. That is just a way to live because I know that my redemption draws nigh and it's going to be an awesome redemption. And I can't wait to see what God has in store. You know, my mom and dad are in heaven today and I can't wait to be with them. I wonder often, often I wonder, what are they doing? What are they doing? For all those that have loved ones in heaven, think about that. If you want to be encouraged, think about that. What are they doing right now? Part of it is they're praying for you. I will say part of what they're doing is that they're in the throne room of Jesus praying for you like Jesus is praying for you. They are on your side and they're saying, hold on, hold the course, guys. Don't give up. Don't worry in well-doing because I'm, Jesus is coming soon or you're going to be with us soon and then it's going to be a great, a great family reunion. That is exciting. And that's what self-control is all about. So as we look at the fruit of self-control, it's imperative that we don't let world events throw us off course. Uh, a writer that I, I read this week, John Rittenbaugh, Rittenbaugh, says this about the lack of control that we really have in some areas in our life. It's important that we recognize that. He says, perhaps the supreme irony is when we realize how little control we exercise over ourselves. We find ourselves enslaved, even addicted to habits created and engraved in our character over years of practice. The discovery, this discovery can be a devastating, humbling blow to the ego. That's why this is a supernatural act. That's why the fruit of self-control is supernatural. Because we've allowed things to 
get in our life habits that we've allowed to form that have over time taken our control away from ourselves. Think about that. Think about that. The fact that we have allowed things to get into our life that now are our biggest problem getting over today. That's why supernatural effort is required on the fruit of self-control. Here's a good definition of self-control that we're talking about today. Self-control is the power of the Holy Spirit restraining us so that we are in control of our desires and our passions. Let's read that again. Self-control is the power of the Holy Spirit restraining us, working in my life, working in your life, so that we can be once again in control of our desires and our passions. A common theme throughout all of the fruit of the Spirit is the fact that it's a supernatural giving of ourselves over to the Holy Spirit to take control of our life. We talked about gentleness and meekness. And we defined them to be strength under what? Control. Meekness and gentleness is an act of an indication, not of weakness, but of power and strength under what? Under control. A meek, a meek person, a gentle person, they're not a weak person. They're not a pushover person. They're not a person that you can walk on and step on and use as a doormat. Jesus was not a doormat, but he was a gentle, meek person. Why? Because he knew where his power came from, and he kept it under control. It's you and me today that we know where our strength comes from. Our strength does not come from ourselves. Our strength comes from our relationship with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And with that, I have the confidence of being a meek, a gentle person under control, under self-control, because I know where I come from and I know where I'm going. And I can take a lot of abuse then. I can have a really thick skin then. I don't get offended easily. I don't over-control. I don't over-exaggerate um, things. I just stay under control. That's the theme of the whole fruit of the Spirit. That's the whole theme of it is that we, we take control of our passions and we submit them to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Think about the power of choice that we have. Think about the power that we have in our choices and what it really means to us. You know, as well as I do, that you and I, you and me, we make time for the things that we want to do. <laughs> There's no excuse. When I want to do something, I'll figure out a way to get it done. Right? That's the power of choice. There is nothing that will keep me from doing the things that I want to do doesn't mean they're good things, but it's the power that I have to control my life and my attitudes. God gave us that power. God gave you and me that power to control our choices. Again, that doesn't mean our choices are right or wrong. He just gave us the power to choose. Are we going to do right or wrong? And what this means is that God has given us uniqueness. We're all created unique uh, from our gene pool, from the XY chromosome mix that you have in your chromosomes and in your genes. You're unique. There's nobody like you. There's nobody like me. We are unique. And God sees us that way. And we're also unique in our choices. There are some things that we have no control over. I have no control what color my eyes are. I have no control of how much hair I have or what color it is? Well, I could, I could color it, but I'm talking about the natural color. I have no control over so many things in my life, but I have control over my choices. And so we can't allow the enemy to come in and say the old Flip Wilson thing. Remember Flip Wilson? Who knows Flip Wilson? What did Flip Wilson say? The devil made me do it. Well, nonsense. You did it. The devil might have influenced you. He might have given you a temptation. But then again, the devil didn't make you do anything. We chose to do what we do. 
So we all want freedoms. We all want that freedom. And thank the Lord we have the freedoms in this country to have our free choices. Thank the Lord that we're not a socialistic country. Thank the Lord that we are democratic and we can have a say in our government and, and we have the rights of our First and Second Amendments and so forth and we can stand on those and we can defend those and we should. Nothing wrong with defending our human rights. But with freedom, though, comes choices. And with choices come consequences. We have to recognize that our freedoms are only there because we have the choice. And then with the choice, we have the consequence of what we chose to do, good or bad. As soon as we think that I'm free to do something that doesn't affect you or you have the choice to do something that doesn't affect me, it doesn't, it's not long thereafter that anarchy results. Because if I'm choosing to do things that negatively impact you, if I'm choosing to do things that, you know, I mean, somebody might have thrown that brick through that window, uh, and I'm doing a peaceful protest, and somebody might have thrown that brick through that window, and that window's wide open, and there is a pair of Nikes there on the shelf that are my size. And I've wanted those for a long time, but I didn't, I didn't have the money to get them, but I, they're right there. And so now, all of a sudden, I have the freedom to walk through that broken window and steal those Nikes, don't I? But that's not a peaceful demonstration. That's criminal. I'm stealing at that point in time. So now I have the, the, the rights to do that, but I also I'm going to bear the consequences of being a thief. And not only thievery from our humanistic standpoint that I could be prosecuted and I could go to jail for that, be punished for that, more importantly, the Lord sees it. And more importantly, he says, Mike, you're a thief. And you know what? There are no thieves in heaven. So therefore, do you see the fact that I'm stealing something down here that may not have a significant impact down here, but it's going to have an impact in your eternity because now all of a sudden your choices, your consequences are going to follow your choices? That's one of the reasons that you're unique because we're unique in our consequences and our choices. Your choices are unique to you. My choices are unique to me. I hope we're getting that. I hope this world would see it that way. Now, God is ultimately in control of all things. We read it earlier how he sets up kingdoms and how he takes down kingdoms. And we see how God is in control of the overall picture of things. But there's one thing he doesn't control, and that's your choices and my choices. He's given that to us. We own that freedom. We own that right God does not control my choices. Now, he's, he, he works in my life to try to uh, move me to make right choices. He allows things to happen in my life, good and bad things. He punishes. He, he um, rewards. You know, if you go back and read Hebrews 12, toward the end of that chapter of Hebrews 12, he disciplines like a loving father disciplines. God is a disciplinarian. God is a giver of good and bad things. I don't, have any, I don't have any problem saying that. I don't have any problem that God allows bad things to happen to me as a way to call me back to him. Never in a way to be angry, never in a way to, to be unjust, but in his way to call me back, God allows things because he's trying to bring me back under his control. But I have the choices. If you don't believe that, if you don't believe that God is in control of all things, then I would ask you to... Um, Step up on a high place and walk off and see how long you'll hover. See if gravity wins. I will tell you right now that when you're cutting branches above your head, gravity always wins. <laughs> I experienced that a few weeks ago. Gravity always wins. God's laws always win. God's laws always will take precedence over my opinions and over the things that I want to happen, God says, well, if it doesn't line up with my word, Mike, if it doesn't line up with what I'm asking of you, then uh, there's a real risk of you're a great disappointment for you. So I think that we have to recognize that our consequences will follow our actions. And that's why I say it's important that we recognize that we do what we want to get done. We make that our priorities. 
And we make, when we make up our own list of priorities and do them before we think about how that's going to impact others, um, be ready for the appropriate consequences because God's laws always prevail in the end. That's why self-control is vital to our Christian faith. That's why we need to live a life pleasing to the Lord through self-control. The Greek word for self-control in this particular passage is, un, is, um, is enkretia, enkretia, enkretia. That's how you say it, enkretia. I've got to get the pronunciation right, enkretia. And its root meaning is to have power over oneself. Um, it's something that we are to have a mastery of our own desires. It's something that we are to uh, exercise that as a way that we see the virtue in holding our appetites in check, that we're controlling our rational will and regulating our conduct without being swayed by outside influences, by not letting peer pressure come in and uh, convince you to do otherwise. It's a moderation is a key word in self-control, moderation. Self-control is, is, is very comprehensive in its practical nature. However, you don't see the word self-control used extensively in Scripture, but yet the whole connotation of Scripture is self-control. Now, let me say this one thing before we move on. I want to make sure that we know that self-control is not a means to your salvation. You can't be saved because you are in self-control. <laughs> your salvation comes only through Jesus Christ, and it comes through a recognition of, of him and that he died for your sin and that he paid the price of our sin. And now it's our belief and our acceptance of his, of his sacrifice, am I saved? But now that I'm saved, I have the responsibility to use self-control, and I have the ability, the responsibility to uh, put my trust in him and him alone. And then his forgiveness is what gives me my, my eternal salvation. So I want to make sure that we recognize that this is not a self-help message. This is not a lift yourself up by your own bootstraps message because there's nothing you and I can do in our own self to be worthy of God's pleasure. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. So what does it really mean to have self-control? Self-control means that we are to be in a right state of mind. We're to have sober judgment. We're to be clear-minded. We're to be wise and prudent in our nature. I like the word prudent here because prudence here means that we have carefully considered our consequences. Prudence means that I'm wise. Other synonyms with, with this word means that we are being sensible, that we're being wise, that we're being careful, that we're discreet. And I like the one that they said it, they'd saved for the last, and that is that we, we are to be far-sighted. When I can be far-sighted about my choices, when I can look down the road and see the eternal consequences of what I'm doing right now, that really helps me keep my eyes focused on Jesus. That far-sighted perspective, that big-picture perspective, really, really is important if we're going to be uh, consistently serving Christ in a way that is pleasing to the Father. A self-controlled person understands that he will have to give an account of every thought and every action and every word that he speaks. Think of this. A self-controlled person, a prudent person, a person with a far-sighted perspective will recognize that everything we do today, I will give an account for later. Why do I say that? Because Jesus says it. Matthew chapter 12, 35 through 37 a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. The farsighted person sees the significance of that. Romans chapter 14, verses 11 and 12, it says, It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. 
Now, these are important principles, but is this negative? Is this negative speak to think this way? Is it negative to recognize that the consequences of my actions I'm going to bear? I don't think so. It's negative. I, I think it's, it's a choice that we have. We can make it negative if we want to. We can go down that path of a, of a, a negative a lifestyle, or we can look at this as a way to protect us in a positive sense so that we are going to only receive good things at the end of our life, not negative. See, when we see that self-discipline and self-control, when they result in goodness, this is a very positive message. Self-control is not a negative concept. There's nothing negative when it says controlling yourself because when you control yourself, you will have positive outcomes. If you don't control yourself, you will have negative outcomes. So having self-control is a very positive thing. It might require some sacrifice. It might require some hard work. But it's all for our benefit. There's nothing negative about it. Now, I've been referencing quite often in this series a book called The Holy Spirit that's written by Dr. Alex Ness. And I, and I want to quote from it again today. He says this as a great illustration regarding the potential that a man has for right and wrong. It says, The fact remains that man is created with a potential for good or evil. Evil, as weeds in the garden, needs very little cultivation, whereas good, as the flowers, needs constant attention. Even the child of God who has received a new nature needs to, be, needs to constantly feed and care for it. He must always be alert lest the spirit of the world or his own spirit takes a predominant or an ascendant position. <laughs> um, yesterday I was um, doing a little flower garden in front of one of our, the house, our house and I was pulling the weeds and I recognized how easy that weeds grow. It, it, I don't need to spend any time cultivating weeds. Anybody have a garden here? Yeah, Jim's, Andrea, do you have to work on the weeds to grow? Do you feed them? <laughs> you're hurting my example, Andrea, but you're absolutely right. If you don't let the weeds grow, you have nothing to pull. But the problem is if you don't tend the garden, the weeds grow, but the flowers don't necessarily. So the example is really true in our, li in our spiritual life as well, that the evil things just tend to pop up, don't they? It's easy to speak the negative word. It's easy to be angry. It's easy to lash out. It's easy to lose your temper. It's easy to go down the wrong path, but yet it's hard sometimes to cultivate the good. It's hard to keep control of our tongue sometimes, isn't it? See, no one, nobody complains about having a great garden if they realized how great the produce was going to be. Our complaint becomes when we don't see the potential of how good our garden may be, we don't want to see, put the work in to keep the weeds out. It, it's all a perspective. It's all that my, is my, am I farsighted or am I nearsighted? If I'm looking at just the fact that I have to go pull the weeds and I don't want to pull the weeds today, I'd rather go to the beach, then maybe pulling weeds is real negative. But if my approach is, boy, I really want to have nice tomatoes and I want a good garden, I want a good, I want a good potato harvest, and those weeds are taking the nutrients of the soil and I need to go pull the, the weeds out so that it doesn't impact my produce. And if I'm thinking about how good that tomato is going to be in my BLT sandwich later, all of a sudden pulling the weeds is not a negative thing because I'm seeing the fruit. I'm seeing how much better my fruit's going to be or how prettier my flowers are going to be when I look at a weed-free garden. And now all of a sudden my perspective of life changes. And guys, that's the same thing about our spiritual life. If I'm looking at the weeds in my life about the things that God's t telling me no to, about how I can't have the fun of the world because I want to go and, and bib and the things that give me immediate pleasure and immediate satisfaction, then all of a sudden when God says no to that, I'm looking and say, well, God, you're just trying to take all my fun away, aren't you? 
And he'll say, no, Mike, what I'm really trying to do is keep you from hurting yourself. I'm trying to keep the weeds out of your life. I'm trying to give you a, a healthy, productive life. And the way you stay healthy and productive is to keep the weeds out. Prevent them from growing as Andrea does with her garden. And that's the right way to do it. That's the right approach, Andrea. You keep the weeds out. You nip it in the bud. When you see the sin coming, when you see the little thing coming, self-control, power, Holy Spirit leveled, self-control comes in and says, stop that. Do that. Don't do that, but do this. In other words, do the things that the Holy Spirit gives you to do that would take your attention, keep your attention on focused on Christ. Paul gives a great example of this as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he talks about a race. He talks about a runner running a race, beginning at verse 24. It says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So Paul says, I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training to do what it should what it should do. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So Paul is using the example of an athlete in training as an example of self-control, of self-discipline. There is a built-in tension here. There is a work ethic required here. Just like we have to have a good work ethic to keep our garden clean, we have to have a good work ethic to keep ourselves prepared for the race. And that race is either physical or spiritual. And then Paul compares that tension and that struggle of life to the Christian that's journeying through life so that we are in control, that we're focused on the things that really matter. We're focused on a long-term impact. And again, nothing negative here. Nothing negative about this approach to living. It's, us, it's, it's about keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I love this passage. I read this quite a bit. Now, I'm reading this this time in the New Living Translation. So if you've got it memorized in the NIV, or just read it with me because another translation kind of gives you another perspective. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a crowd of witnesses, a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, there's that long-term perspective. Jesus had a long-term, far-sighted perspective. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. I love the exhortation here that certainly there are things in our life that will trip us up. There are the sins of this world that will surely disqualify us. Like Paul was concerned about being disqualified the sin in life will disqualify us or take us away from meeting the mark. But there are also little things, little hindrances that may not be sinful, but can be very damaging to our Christian walk. That's the point I want to make here. That's the point of self-control, that I see the things, the, the distractions in my life, the, the maybe not even evil things, the, the good things sometimes in life that can be so distracting to me that I take my eyes off of the race. I take my eyes off of Jesus. I ran track when I was in high school, and I learned from the coaches that if you're ahead, never look back. Never look to see how far you're ahead, because as soon as you look back, it, 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 you lose a step of your speed, and now you give an opportunity for the guy right behind you to pass you. Keep your eyes focused on the prize. Keep your eyes focused on the finish line, and don't get distracted by the things that are happening around you. You could be way ahead or you could be just a little bit ahead. It doesn't make any difference. The point is you want to cross the finish line first. It doesn't make any difference how far ahead. You just want to win. And that's, that's the way that Christian life has to be. We cannot be looking our back over our shoulder against the enemy. Where are you, devil? Can I play with that one? Can I play with that? Can I go there? No. Stop it. 
what we need to do is just keep our eyes focused on Christ and just focus our mind on the goal, and that is heaven, eternal heaven, that eternal salvation. Because if we don't, we find ourselves down in Matthew chapter 7. And this is a bad scripture, but you have to read it and understand it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. See, that's the easy life. Broad is the gate and wide is the road. And many people are on it. In fact, in some translation it says most people are on it. And many enter through that road. But verse 14, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. It's a hard passage. It's a hard scripture because it's not politically correct. The, politi- the, the, the American politically correct Christians would reverse it and said that the wide road that everybody's on is going to heaven. The easy road is going to heaven because all I have to do is confess my sins one time and I'm going to heaven. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the wide road and the easy road leads to destruction. Destruction is, I have to say the word, hell. I have to say it. We can't have heaven if we don't have hell. <laughs> so uh, we have to know that the wide road, the easy road, and most people, hear the words, most people, Many people are on the wide road. The narrow road, however, is, starts off through a narrow door. That door is Jesus. He's the only door to get on that narrow road. Uh, it's not just having faith in any religion. It's just not being a good person. It's just not having the ability to say, I'm in self-control. No, the only door that leads to get on that narrow road, the only gate is a very narrow gate called Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ, when I enter through that gate, now I live my life pleasing him, it is a narrow road. And can I tell you, it's going to take some discipline to stay on it. Because a a person without self-control easily wanders off that narrow road onto the wide road that many are on, thinking, well, if many are on it, I guess I must be okay, because look at Joe, or not Joe, look at Bill, (laughs) or anybody else I see, Uh, anybody else whose name that I might want to recognize, okay? Um, He's on it, so if he's on it, I must be okay. I can be on it too. Well, you can be on it. That's your choice. But recognize that you're unique in your choice and that you're going to pay the consequences of whatever road you're on. So my recommendation is to choose the narrow road. Self-discipline. It's going to take some work, take some effort. Stay on it. Paul talks to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 3. He says, Take your share of suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, just as I do. And as Christ's soldier, do not let yourself become tied up in worldly affairs. For then you cannot satisfy the one who has enlisted you in his army. Follow the Lord's rules for doing his work, just as as an athlete either follows the rules or is disqualified and wins no prize. Work hard like a farmer who gets paid well if he raises a large crop, crop. Think over these three illustrations, says Paul to Timothy, and may the Lord help you to understand how they apply to you. I like this translation in the Living Bible because he makes it very personal. Paul says, think about these three illustrations, Timothy, and see how they apply to you. His illustrations are, number one is a soldier, that you don't get caught up, you don't get distracted on the mission of the battle that you're in. You don't get caught up again in worldly affairs because you're on a mission, you're a soldier of Christ. Secondly, the other example, he says, as an athlete in competition, don't be tempted to cheat to win. Don't be tempted to take a shortcut. Follow through, live by the rules. And then finally, as a farmer, work hard and be patient, waiting for the prosperous crop, waiting for the harvest that's going to be great. And with with that, then, you'll have great rewards. So the things that are distracting to us in this world are unique as well. I'm I'm distracted by different things than you're distracted with. You're distracted with different things that I'm distracted with. So don't compare my life to your life. And don't compare your life with your neighbor's life because we're different. We're unique. Our our distractions are unique as well. Again, nothing negative here at all. 
Nothing negative. I want to read one more Dr. Ness quote. I know I'm getting along, but let me hang with me a little bit. The believer, Dr. Ness says, the believer must discover that his freedom is only found within bounds or in bondage. The spiritual man will understand such a statement. Electricity must be harnessed to be of value. The river must stay within its banks or it becomes wasteful and destructive. The happiest home is where the husband, wife, and children live up to their respective bounds. The believer finds his greatest happiness and freedom in love's bounds with self-control as the moderator. Kids love boundaries. They will push you as you have kids or grandkids. You know they will push as far as they can boundaries are, but they love to know there's a boundary there. And when there's no boundary, they get upset. They get uneasy. They get unruly because they're looking for somebody to say, I love you enough to give you a boundary. Self-control is a boundary. It's a guardrail on this narrow life. We're to live that narrow life in self-control. Yeah. Jackie, Tom, would you come? I believe it's everyone's end goal to be found pleasing and faithful at the end of the day. I really think that everybody really wants to hear Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful. Amen? I mean, isn't that what we want to hear? So if we want to hear that, how do we have to live today? Good and faithful. (laughs) He's not going to say it if you're not good and not faithful. He's only going to say good and faithful if I'm living good and faithful today. So Paul says this in in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, And so, dear brothers, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living sacrifice, holy, the kind he can accept, When you think of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but be a new and different person with a fresh newness in all you do and all you think. Then you will learn from your own experience how his ways will really satisfy you. That's the call of self-control. And Paul pleads with his readers. He urges them. He he he. Is great, he shows great passion and a great emotion that we would run the race with perseverance. Remember that God's best is always for you. He's never negative. His rules are not negative. His guidelines are not negative. He's not trying to take the fun out of your life. Self-control is not a negative thought. That's what the enemy would have you think, but it's freedom. It's freedom. God is for us, not against us. Last passage, great encouragement here. Psalms chapter 37, 23, 24, then skipping to 27. It says, the Living Bible Translation, the steps of a good man are directed by the Lord. He delights in each step they take. If they fall, it isn't fatal, for the Lord holds them with his hand. So if you want an eternal home, Leave your evil, low-down ways and live good lives. In other words, live in self-control. Verse 28, For the Lord loves justice and fairness. He will never abandon his people. They will be kept safe forever. And all who love wickedness shall perish. The godly shall, however, be firmly planted in the land and live there forever. That's us, guys. That's the direction that we are in. That's the direction that we can stay in. We need to have the spirit of self-control to keep us on that path. Don't let the world distract. Don't be tempted to take the shortcut. Stay strong. Keep praying. Keep reading your Bible. Keep your garments white. Keep them from being wrinkled by the temptations of the world. And if we do that today, I promise you, you will have great rewards. Now, as always, I always want to end with a request. If you need prayer, I want to pray with you. If you're at home today and maybe you're feeling that you're just not cutting it, call me. Talk to me. Talk to someone else that you might know, another Christian brother or sister. God loves you. He wants to restore you. And he wants you to have a 
a life of freedom with bounds of self-control that he'll bless. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just love you in Jesus' name. We come to you. We are asking you, Father, that we would just really, truly understand what this message means. How do we really live our life, God, really of uh, surrendering to you? That we would live a life surrendering of our, our own emotions, our own passions, our own priorities. That we would live a life of control, self-control by the power of the Holy Spirit. I invite you in, Jesus. I invite you in, Holy Spirit, to give me that strength and give me that authority to stand against the wiles of the enemy. I pray for this church and I pray for all these people and I pray that you would just be mighty in their lives as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand with me as we leave and we're before we leave and we're going to sing the song that Tom and Jack are playing. Amen. Father, we just surrender to you today. We give you our hearts and our lives today. And we just ask you to be King of kings and Lord of lords in our lives today. We surrender. And Lord, that's hard sometimes for us to do, but we're going to do our best. So help us. Help us with this as we give our hearts and lives to you today and this week. As we go and we go into our homes today and we go into our places of work tomorrow and thereafter. Just be King and be Lord. We surrender. And God, give us the control in our lives that you want us to have in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed today. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord and be blessed.